You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Well, before I begin, I want to um, just welcome Pastor Peter back um, from his his vacation. And um, I was actually on vacation myself when... Uh, Peter shared with the congregation that he's going to be moving to Taiwan and that he's not going to commute to work. And so that means that he's going to find a new job in Taiwan. And we are going to miss you dearly, Peter. But we are so glad that you're back with us now and will be with us the next couple months. Um, Well, before, also one more thing, before I begin um, today's sermon, I have a confession to make. Um, Last Friday, um, we had the movie Pilgrim's Progress. And at the end of Pilgrim's Progress, I gave a message. It was a, a gospel message. It was also a message that was meant to exhort the believers um, to stay on that narrow road that Pilgrim's Progress talks about, the King's Road. And so a number of you filled out the response forms, and the youth gathered them, and they gave them to me. And I knew to myself, said to myself, watch these very carefully and keep them with you. And so I put them in, an, in a, a folder, and I kept that folder with me um, until some unknown time. And I don't know when or where, but I lost it. And so that's my confession. Um, I lost the response forms, which I feel are very important. There was money in that envelope, too, which I don't think is nearly as important. And so uh, I thought, well, what can I do? I, I can't, you know, make it up. Uh, but maybe you could help me. And so inside um, your bulletin today, you'll see a response form. And this is for those who went to the movie and for those who did not go to the movie. So if you went to the movie, the top part is for you to fill out. If you remember what you wrote, if you remember the boxes you marked or any comment that you had, uh, you could do that again. And then we'll collect it after the service is over. Um, And also at the end of today's sermon, there'll be a challenge for you and an exhortation, and you'll be able to answer the next two questions after that. And again, we'll collect them. Well, would you stand with me as you open your scriptures to Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37? Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37. And as you're looking forward, it is in this passage that we are going to see how Jesus addresses the way we make oaths or the way we might make a vow, but also how we deal with the truth with God and with one another. And so today's message is called Truth Be Told, and it is something that should be true of us, that our words are truth, and those are the things that should be told. So whatever version you have, let's read together Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Amen. Please be seated. We all know, I don't think anybody here would deny, that telling the truth is important. 
And so ever since we were little, our adult influencers in our lives have told us, tell the truth, don't lie. We've maybe heard um, cliches, but they're still true too, like honesty is the best policy. And then, of course, the famous line, when you are under oath inside a courtroom, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Those things are really important in society. They're important in our homes, and they're especially important in the church. And the church is not the building. The church is the people. And so it is extremely important that truth be told in the people, in you and in me. So I have some scenarios here, and I want you just to think, what would you do if you were in this scenario? So you're hoping to go to the prom. It's getting really late, and no one has asked you yet. There's somebody who you really hoped would ask you, but they just seem to not get near you at all or contact you. But then one day, someone, a friend of yours, contacts you and says, would you be willing to go to the prom with me? And you're thinking to yourself, well, this is not the ideal person, um, but they're okay, and I guess I shouldn't waste the opportunity to go to the prom, and I do want to go to the prom, so, so then you say, yes, yes, I, I will go to the prom with you. And they're so excited, and they thank you, and they say, I'm looking forward to it very much, and I know we're going to have a really good time. Well, after you finish talking to them, your phone rings, and it's the other person. And it's the person that you had hoped would ask you to the prom. And they say, oh, you know, hey, I, first of all, I want to apologize for asking so late. Uh, but I would like to ask you to go to the prom with me. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't ask sooner, but we had a family gathering that day. And I wasn't going to be able to go to the prom, but it has been postponed. Would you go with me? What do you do? Scenario number two, you're looking for a job. You really need a job. And so you are looking and you get two interviews. And the first job is one that you believe you will really like. And after you go through the interview, you realize this indeed is my dream job. And then you go to interview number two. And you feel like, oh, you know, this job's okay. It'll pay the bills. But it's not as good as the other job. It, it doesn't have as many benefits. It doesn't pay as well. And besides that, it's really not my dream job. But, but it'll do. And so you're waiting, and the phone rings. And it's the people from job one, and they go, oh, we want to let you know um, that you were not chosen, but we also want you to know that you did a really good job. In fact, you were number two. But we're sorry that we can't offer you the job this time. But thank you so much for applying. You hang up. Your heart's sad. But the phone rings again, and it's job two. And they say, congratulations, you've got the job. And in your heart, you go, well, you know, the consolation prize isn't so bad. I need a job. So thank you. Yes, I'd be happy to accept this job. And they say, wonderful. And so you go in the next day, and you fill out all the paperwork. You do all the HR stuff. And they say, okay, uh, we still have to process it the rest of this week, but come in the following Monday, and we'll get you started on your new job. And you go, great, I'll be there. You go home, and the phone rings, and it's the people from job one, and they go, hi, hey, we want to know if you still would like the job because the person who was number one declined the job, and we said, you're number two. Will you accept? 
What would you do? Scenario number three. You've gone to church, and your pastor has clearly had a bad day. The sermon was not that good. In fact, you fell asleep during the sermon. It was hard to understand beyond being boring. And he even admitted during the sermon that it had been a tough week for him, but he had tried to do the best he could. After the worship service, you're in the fellowship hall. You're eating lunch. Pastor sits next to you, and he says, I was wondering, so how did you like my sermon today? What do you do? One time, someone communicated to me, and they had told this, this was about my sermon. And they said, his sermon today wasn't as bad as his last one. (laughs) They told the truth, I suppose, at least from their perspective. There is a way to always tell the truth. In Ephesians chapter 4, 15, let's read this together. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. God wants us to be moving in a direction of Christ. All of our life and all of our words are to be on this road that we are walking with other people, a road of truth, a road where we are honest. And yet we say oftentimes When somebody asks us, are you going to do something? And they question us, and you'll say, I I swear, I do it. Or you might even say, you know, I I swear to God. And I've, you know, you've probably heard people say, with God as my witness, I'll do it. Those are things that we do today. Well, that was happening in the days of Jesus as well. Oaths were being made. Oaths were being said. But the teaching about oaths was wrong. And Jesus is addressing that which is wrong about the Pharisaical teachings. And so we see again that as Jesus begins to correct the Pharisees, he begins by looking at the scriptures. He quotes scriptures. Now, we read that Jesus had said that what the people had heard was, do not break your oath, but keep your oath you have made to the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, oaths were actually encouraged. So we have here Deuteronomy 10.20, and it says, Fear the Lord and serve him. Hold fast to him and take oath in his name. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 6, it says, And if they learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, saying, As surely as the Lord lives, even as they once taught my people to swear by Baal, they will be established among my people. And so in the Old Testament, there was the commandment for the Jewish people to make oaths. But the Pharisees had gotten it all wrong. They once again had mixed scriptures together to create something other than the truth and to create their own teaching. And so Jesus, once again, is going to have to correct them. And so he is referring to the third commandment as Jesus talks about what he's going to teach But indeed, it was the third commandment that was sort of the foundation of which 
led to the Pharisees' misinterpretation and false teaching. So in verse 33, it says, and these are Jesus' words again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. Well, this was not any scripture in the Old Testament. However, it was based on certain scriptures. And the first one is the one that we know very well, the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And so the Pharisees were trying to find a way that they could make an oath without misusing God's name. They also were new about Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. And there the scriptures say, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so they again are not to misuse the name of God, not to profane it. And in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, it says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. So the Pharisees, having put together this saying, not scripture, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord, had rewritten those other scriptures in such a way that they could keep it to the letter of the law and feel good about themselves. As long as they didn't use the Lord's name in an oath, it wasn't going to be binding, and they wouldn't be using the Lord's name in vain. And so they had created a very complicated system of making oaths, and that's what Jesus is referring to in the rest of our teaching today. And so Jesus needs to correct them once again. He needs to interpret the truth, and he always does that by saying, but I tell you, but I tell you. And this is important to you and to me as well. Because lying is a big part of our own culture. And many of us probably struggle with telling the truth. Many of us probably find it easy to lie. Um, in our culture, we even make up ways that tries to make lying okay. Like, for example, um, if I cross my fingers and I put it behind my back right? And I tell a lie, then I'm, I'm okay, right? Just a superstition. Children believe that. I think as adults, we know that's not true. But though we may not put our hand behind our back and cross our fingers, we may still sell somebody a lie and think we're doing them a favor. But a lie is a lie. And so we know that it's not right to lie, and so we don't want people to think that we lie. And so when we say something to somebody, we want them to believe that we're saying the truth. And so we might say something like this, like what children say, and cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Ow! Whoever sticks a needle in their eye? Nobody. And yet we would make a promise like that. We ourselves create, just like the Pharisees, rules that can allow us to skim on God's name and not bear the whole truth. And indeed, this is what the Pharisees were doing. Again, they were taking up different types of oaths that they could make as long as they did not use the Lord's name in it, they'd be okay. And so Jesus probes into what they say, and he corrects their teaching. And so in verse 34, we see 
that God is helping us through Christ to understand what is truth-telling and why we don't need to even swear that we tell the truth. So turn with me at verse 34 again of Matthew chapter 5. And there Jesus very clearly says, Do not swear at all by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make, it e- you cannot make even one hair white or black. And so what was happening here? The Pharisees were letting people swear by heaven. But Jesus is saying, you know, you can't swear by heaven because that is God's throne. You can't swear by earth because that is God's footstool. You can't swear by Jerusalem because that is the city of the great king. And you cannot swear by your head because God has made your head. God is the one who is in control of your whole life. You can't even make one hair black or one hair white. God's in control. Turn with me in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, beginning at verse 16. And here we'll see that Jesus again is correcting the Pharisees. And he's calling them blind guides. And once again, it shows us what they were teaching people. It shows us what they were making up that wasn't true. Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22. And there it says, Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. And so once again, we see that the Pharisees have been teaching, you know, it's okay if you swear by the gold of the temple, if you swear by the temple, but not by the gold of the temple. It's okay if you swear by the altar, but not by the gift on the altar. It's okay if you make up these rules as long as you obey them. We, we are going to say you are okay too. That these are things that the Pharisees had made up. They were not taught in the word of God. And Jesus is correcting them. Jesus is helping the people to be able to know how to live the truth. He wants them to live the truth. Again, we all know that lying is wrong. When I was a kid, um, I lied a lot. Lied a lot. And I get caught a lot in my lies. Um, And I had a cousin um, who I really looked up to. And he told me, he says, Curtis, you're right. Mom and dad are right. You should not lie. And I go, yeah, I know. He goes, you know what happens when you lie? I go, no, what happens? And he goes, your brain, you know, your brain is like strings. 
And what happens is they begin to tie themselves in knots. And pretty soon you won't be able to think at all. And I believed him. I believed him. And I was really scared. And so I knew I had told a bunch of lies. And so I, I thought about all the lies. And I, and I said, well, what do you do? What do you do if you've told a lie? And he goes, well, you, you have to tell the truth. You have to tell the truth. And so I thought to myself, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the truth. And so what I did, and I still remember this, I, I went to my neighbor's house. I stood away from the door so that nobody could hear me. And I began to confess my lies. I began to tell the truth to nobody. But I convinced myself that I had confessed my sins. I wasn't a Christian yet, but I had confessed my lies. And now my brain would unknot itself and I would be able to think as I grew up. Well, you know what? Lying does cause us not to think. Because when we lie, we're not thinking about what God says. And then we have to remember that lie so we can tell it again. And then if we're caught in that lie again, we've got to tell another lie. What's sort of paradoxical is that my cousin told me a lie about lies. But I believed that lie about him, so I tried to confess about my lies. And so lies breed lies. And God wants us to learn to speak the truth to one another. And so we go back to those first illustrations. And if it was one of my children who was invited to the prom and didn't get the date they wanted, but they said, Daddy, what do you think I should do? I would say, what do you think you should do? And I would hope that they would say, I should keep my word. And I would say, that's right. I think you should keep your word and go with the first person who asked you. If somebody were to ask me, what do I do? I, I got this job offer from the company I really want, but I already accepted another job offer from a company that I didn't. I would say to them, I would ask them, what do you think you should do? And I would hope that they would say what I would say, which I think you should take the first job that you accepted because you should be a person of your word. God wants us to keep our word. Now, in the third illustration, I want you to lie. No, I'm kidding, kidding, okay. In the third illustration, I want you to also tell the truth. You don't have to be so crafty as saying, well, you know, your last sermon wasn't as bad as your first. But you could just come out and say the truth. Go, you know, I've, I've heard better things from you before, or, yeah, I didn't get that point. I didn't understand what you were trying to say. When we talk to one another, we need to tell the truth. We need to speak to one another in ways that shows what the real intent of our heart is. And Jesus wants us to understand that our words are also our character. Our words also reveal what's inside of our hearts, what's inside of our souls. And God wants us to learn to speak that which is true. And a lot of times, and still for myself as well, I must learn to speak more slowly so that I carefully will think before I speak so I don't 
over-exaggerate. I don't tell a lie, but I tell the truth. This is what Jesus wants. And so he reveals to us the true intent of how we are to live. And it's really easy, verse 37. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so Jesus' point is he's using oaths as a way to teach his main point, which is simply this, we as God's people are not to lie. And we as honest people do not need to resort to oaths. If we knew that everybody here was going to speak the truth to us always, that person would never have to take an oath. We wouldn't expect that of anybody. If we always understood that our brothers and sisters are going to tell us what is real and what is true, we don't have to make promises and vows. And that's what Jesus is saying. It should be such a part of ourselves, such a part of our community, that we are always telling the truth in such a manner that it is a safe place to live and it is also a good place to live. Now, we have to remember also what Paul said, that we speak the truth in love. We speak it in love. So we're not going to tell the truth in a way that's meant to hurt somebody, but to help them. Jesus knew the Old Testament, and he was teaching these truths. In Leviticus 19, 11, 12, it says, Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not bear false do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Dishonesty breaks both truth and trust. When we know somebody's going to tell us the truth, we can trust them. When we trust somebody, we believe they're going to tell us the truth. And a lie breaks both the truth and the trust. Jesus says that there is evil if we go beyond that. What he's saying is that there is evil when we have to swear because it means that we know that we may not tell the truth. Or somebody else may need to believe us in a way that our character has not yet proven to them that we are trustworthy. But we can be trustworthy. We can be people who tell the truth. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. And so Jesus warns us. But in this warning, there is respect. Because the respect is that God gives us the freedom of choice, but he also gives us the ability to speak the truth. But Jesus does warn us. We are going to stand before God. We are going to stand before God for every word that we say. But when we speak the truth, God is behind us. God is with us. God approves. When we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. Jesus throughout the Sermon on the Mount is helping us to understand the lifestyle of people who are part of his kingdom. And Jesus, of course, is the king of the kingdom. 
And, and as we think about the truth, and as we think about how to live the Beatitudes, we are learning from Jesus how to be like him. And so if we want to form our words, and we want our words to be truthful, and we want to do the things that God wants us to do, then the application is this. Let us form our words from the word of God. And let us form our words from the living word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So both the written scriptures should form our words, but also Jesus and his example should help us to form our words. Three applications for us in this way. How can we be like Jesus? And the first one deals with our attitude and, and what we consider ourselves entitled to. I think a lot of us feel that we're entitled to be treated a certain way. But when we look at Philippians chapter 2, 7 through 8, we see that Jesus is teaching us that if we are going to be like him, then we must not worry about our own honor, our own honor. In Philippians chapter 2, 7 and 8, the Bible says, But Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the very form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus humbled himself. And for us to be able to be the person that's going to tell the truth, we are going to be people who are going to face difficulties in life. We are going to be people who are going to want to defend our honor. And in that, we could become people who become proud or arrogant or want to win and be the person who shows the other person how right you are and how wrong they are. We want to vindicate ourselves. There is this pride that leads to the wrong words of our lives. And it is the pride that says, I must defend my honor and yet Jesus, we know, didn't do that. St. Augustine said this, O Lord, deliver me from this lust of always vindicating myself. Always trying to prove myself right. Always trying to prove that, that I'm the expert or that I'm the authority. Always trying to win. And yet Jesus came down to earth and he, he gave up his rights from the throne of heaven to take on the robes of a bondservant. And he made himself of no reputation. We also see that Jesus was not defensive. Wow, this one really speaks to me. Because when I'm defensive, usually my words are one, not said correctly, and two, certainly not said with the right spirit. I struggle with this, but I know this is what I want to learn. I want to become more like Jesus, and I want my words to come out, not just the way that Jesus might say them, but with the heart in which he says them. Jesus was attacked all the time, and if we do what is right, we will be attacked too. There are many examples, but here's just one. In Matthew eleven nineteen, the Bible says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
Jesus was being attacked. He was being defrauded. He was being told that he was a glutton. And he hung out with gluttons. He was told that if he had better character, he would know the character of people who are like the drunkards. How in the world could a rabbi with his good reputation even hang out with a tax collector and with all those sinners in the world? And he was attacked, but he wasn't defensive. And he continued to live among the needy. He continued to live in the difficult places. He continued to live in places where he would be able to share his love and his words of hope and his words of kindness. And likewise, so should we. And we should learn not to be defensive in the things that happen to our lives, even if we're right. Was Jesus ever wrong? No. So every time he was attacked, the others were wrong. But Jesus was humble. He didn't try to protect his honor. Someday he will. But this time he didn't. He wasn't defensive. And he continued to do what is right. And the third one, which is so important, is let us be like Jesus and let us not retaliate. In 1 Peter 2, 22-23, the Bible says, Jesus committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He did not retaliate with words. He did not retaliate with actions. He did not retaliate with miracles to strike down his enemies. He turned the other cheek. Ultimately, He was nailed to a cross. The first words out of Jesus' mouth from the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, when we are under difficult circumstances, struggling with our words, let us think as though we are speaking to our heavenly Father that he sees us and that he cares and that he knows how hard it is for us. He knows what we're going through. And if the other person is truly wrong, then, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And if what they have done is truly wrong, and if, in fact, their character is the reason for what they've done, and they are a sinner, just like us, but they are sinning now against us, then we could say maybe they don't know what they are doing. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus was forgiving. His words were loving. His words were kind. And ultimately, his words were always true. Never filled with lies. Never filled with deceit. Jesus wants us to live in the same way that the psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 14. Let's say this verse together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May this be our anthem. May this be what we remember as we speak to one another. 
that the words of our mouth, even the thoughts in my heart, would be pleasing, O oh Lord, to you. Because you are my rock. You are my truth. You are my redeemer. You are my forgiver. You have forgiven me for all my wrong words. You have forgiven me for all of my lies. But now, Lord, you call me to live a life that speaks the truth. God loves us in such a way that he wants us to experience the love of Christ by being like him. You can look now at your response sheets. And in that, if you could answer them, you could write down, there should be a pen or a pencil in front of you. We have put them in right before the service in the pews. Could you just take some time and, and fill out this response sheet? And the last two questions deal with today's message. What did you hear from the word and message today? And the reason that I'm asking you to write it is that it'll reinforce for you what you need to do or what you want to do or what you heard God saying to you. And then the last one is, how can we be praying for you? How can we be praying for you? And so you can answer any of these. Um, please remember to print your name at the top so we know who we're praying for and who's responding to us. So take a moment now, and, and after a few minutes, I'll close in prayer.